You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Don Guerra. And I'm Nawalker Husky Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, April 18th, 2022. Later in the program, we have the latest edition of Strike Mike, voices from the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition in light of the recent strike at Indiana University. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. But first, your daily headlines. On April 14th, the Monroe County Solid Waste Management District Board of Directors meeting was held in conjunction with the Citizens Advisory Committee to discuss a resource recovery program feasibility study. Director of the Solid Waste Management District, Tom McLassen, explained the goal of the meeting is to get the Citizens Advisory Committee's input on the study before the board makes a final decision. Again, this is uh, something that the, the board has uh, previously looked at, um, where um, the City of Bloomington Utilities is uh, asking for uh, some collaboration and financial assistance uh, uh, to conduct a feasibility study on installing an anaerobic digester at their Blucher Pool uh, wastewater treatment plant. Um, this would be a, a facility that would accept uh, uh, food waste, fat soils, and grease, um, and uh, you know, and which and through the anaerobic digestion process would uh, you know create a uh, what's called a biogas uh, that that can be used uh, as a heat source to generate electricity, um, uh, or sold back uh, you know onto the the gas pipelines if it's cleaned up a little bit. Uh, additionally, there is a uh, there is a, a solid waste byproduct out of it uh, that can be uh, uh, land applied as a soil amendment or a fertilizer. Um, so there are, you know, some uh, some beneficial products uh, that come out of the anaerobic digester process. And uh, uh, again, this is just uh, to fund a study to see if it's feasible to install such a facility at the Blucher Pool um, a wastewater treatment plant and. Uh, it is, um, you know, it is something that would, uh, you know, that, that would divert um, materials currently going uh, to a landfill uh, from going to a landfill uh, and, and using them uh, uh, in, in essence as a, you know, a waste to energy uh, uh, fuel. Uh, so there is some, uh, some, some benefit to it. And, uh, you know, uh, and that would uh, be something that would align uh, with the district's mission and, and some of the district's goals. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, like I said, this has been discussed previously, um, and I think the the board has uh, delayed uh, action on it uh, due to a desire uh, to, uh, uh, to have a discussion, get input uh, from the CAC, uh, which is uh, the purpose of this joint meeting. Chair of the Monroe County Solid Waste Management District Citizens Advisory Committee, 
Joseph Winia, spoke expressing concern over the financial aspect of the study. And I know that the discussion is for half of the cost of the feasibility study, which equates to about $65,000. But I think it's important to take the full project cost into account now for this decision. And that's because at the March 10th meeting, uh, Director Kelson made some remarks that really shaped how I think the project should be considered. And to paraphrase it, he said, once the study is complete, it will take a community-wide, I'm sorry, a county-wide, community-wide effort to decide whether we want to do it or not. And I don't see this project uh, that would be, I don't see this as a project that would be a city of Bloomington utilities project. I see it as a county-wide project and paraphrase. So knowing that even after the feasibility study, it will require the, the support of the full community and most likely the district as well. I think it would only be logical to contribute to the study now if the district also intends to contribute to the installation of the biodigester if deemed feasible. So with that framework in mind, considering the full project involvement, I wanna point out that while the biodigester does align with the district's mission statement to reduce the amount of final waste going to disposal, it doesn't figure into the recommendations of the 2018 Kessler Organics Waste Recovery Analysis recommendations, which, all, which instead states that it requires significantly more capital investment and higher operational costs than windrow composting but also that it doesn't really closely align with the goals and objectives of the five-year management plan either. Director of Bloomington Utilities Vic Kelson explained why collaboration is important now during this study, rather than just waiting until the anaerobic biodigester is being built. So it's, it is not a CBU project. It is, it is a solid waste project that would require cooperative participation from a number of entities Solid Waste Management District, City Public Works, um, maybe some, uh, some uh, investor-owned organizations, the university, the public schools, hospitals, et cetera, like that. So a, an initiative like this is bigger than just the utilities department and our, and our, and our little six million gallon per day treatment plant. So this, this is a, a, a way of just Putting, putting your marker down and saying, let's all talk about this. It's not, it's, uh, it's, we're not going to build it by ourselves. It's going to have to be something that would be, uh, be done in partnership uh, with others. So we'd like to have that partnership as we start the investigation so that everybody's questions get answered as we go through the process. So it's not simply uh, me worrying about grease and uh, wastewater solids. The vote to enter a Memorandum of Understanding between the City of Bloomington Utilities and Monroe County Solid Waste Management District on the Anaerobic Digester Feasibility Study passed, contingent upon legal counsel the district has yet to receive. The two organizations will meet again on April 21st to continue discussing the study. At the Ellettsville Town Council meeting on April 11th, President of the Council Pamela Samples announced that she will step down from her position. Okay, before we get started, I just wanted to let you all know that I am stepping down as president. Um, just my life has just got a lot of business going on that I don't feel like I have the time to do what's needed for a president. So I just want to clear that up before rumors start flying around. Okay, so William's taking over. Vice President William Ellis will serve as president moving forward. Councilmember Trevor Sager was nominated for vice president. The nomination passed unanimously.
the council discussed increasing the rates and charges for water services. Town attorney Darla Brown outlined why the rate increase is necessary. As the council is aware, the city Bloomington utilities increased their water rates, and since the town buys its water from the city, the town had to increase its rates as well. And so that's called, uh, when you piggyback, for lack of a better word, on another utility, uh, that's called a tracking factor. And Baker Tilly petitioned the IURC under what's called a 30-day filing to increase the rates to make them commensurate with what the city of Bloomington was charging or increasing the town's. Uh, rates and that 30-day tracking factor was approved. That resulted in approved by the IURC last week. And so what that means is there's a tracking factor of 85 cents per 1,000 gallons. So what that means for the town's ordinance is that will increase the tap and meter installation charges. It will increase the monthly water usage charges and the minimum monthly charges. It does not affect uh, some of the other things in the town code, such as the municipal hydrant charges, the automatic sprinkler charges, reconnection charges, late payment fees, insufficient funds charges, and the meter deposits. So what you have before you is a new ordinance to adopt those new rates and charges pursuant to the IURC's approval of the rate tracking factor. Councilmember Dan Swafford asked what the fee rates would be after the increase. Utility Director Jeff Farmer responded it will be $6.33 per thousand gallons. The rate per thousand gallons is going to go from $5.48 to $6.33. Councilmember Scott Oldham said that the information should be made available on the town website for the public to see. The council will vote on the ordinance at their next meeting. At the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission meeting, Director of Housing and Neighborhood Development, John Zodi, suggested that the amount of money the Redevelopment Commission offers for emergency home repairs be increased permanently due to the rising costs for construction materials. One item on my report tonight on agenda item C under number six, uh, we're going to ask you to consider uh, the increase of a, um, a emergency home repair amount again. And I want to just provide some context there. You've, we've, we've asked you to do a number of these over the last several months, and um, we think it's important that probably later this summer or at a time if the commission feels another time is appropriate to revisit our program guidelines and look at revising those more permanently so that we aren't uh, sort of doing this in a... Uh, case-by-case -case basis, if you will. We'd like to be a little more consistent. Prices being what they are and work getting done is just more expensive generally, so we think it's time to take a look at those again. So just to let you know when that comes up, that that is something the staff is uh, recommending we do uh, here before the end of the summer. Economic and Sustainable Development Director Alex Crowley gave an update on the retail spaces available at parking garages. One of the commissioners asked for an update on um, on the retail spaces in the garage, just generally. So I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, as you know, there, there are uh, spaces at the Trade Sister garage on the north side of the building. It's about 4,500 square feet to man that. And then there's a number of spaces on, at the 4th Street garage facing Walnut. Um, and there are about three or four spaces there um, that aren't being used. One is being used by uh, the parking um, services group. 
So um, we are actually in, in somewhat active discussions for the Trades District space, um, and I'll hopefully bring more information about that at the next meeting. Um, and uh, that would be for the entirety of the space if that were to work out. Um, and so we, we've, we've had some nibbles other than what the group that we're talking to right now. Um, it's kind of a tough commercial moment, you know, as, as all of you know, in the commercial industry, so, or the commercial uh, real estate uh, sector. Um, so, you know, we're, we're really interested in trying to fill the spaces, obviously, and hopefully we, we can get that one filled. The 4th Street one, we have not gotten a lot of uh, recent interest in. We uh, did get a fairly substantial amount of interest a while back. Uh, the economics didn't end up working out for that potential tenant. So that one is a little bit less active right now. Um, certainly, we'll bring you updates as we, as we uh, hear about it. My sense is things are maybe starting to pick up a little bit in commercial real estate, but it's not where it needs to be, and, and uh, so it may take a little bit of time. Zodi asked the commissioners to approve the increase of emergency home repair funding for a mobile home. We are asking, as I mentioned before, asking the commission to um, consider uh, the increase of a emergency home repair. This is for a mobile home for a resident here in Bloomington. Um, as you know, the cap is $3,500. Uh, we have cost estimates um, that are uh, coming back at varied amounts, uh, which require us to ask for an increase of $4,500, um, not to exceed $8,000. This is largely for uh, four floor repairs in the uh, sort of main uh, thoroughfare of the, the residence as well as in the kitchen. The board approved the increase unanimously. The next meeting will be held on April 18th. At the Bloomington City Council meeting, Mayor John Hamilton presented his proposal to increase the local income tax. Bloomington is at a pivot point. You've all heard me describe pressing needs confronting us several times. I'll begin tonight with a different voice. Mayor Tommy Allison made the following comments in a 1984 memo to city council that first established the local option income tax. Quote, no government official wants to raise taxes which are unnecessary, but our first obligation is to provide basic services to our citizens. We must maintain the high quality of our police and fire services. We must maintain our streets, curbs, sidewalks, our equipment inventory, and our city facilities." Close quote. This 1984 income tax of 0.5% was raised another 0.5% five years later in a 1989 council action bringing that basic lit local income tax to 1% some 30 years ago, where it stayed until 2016 when the Local Income Tax Council raised a 0.25% public safety lit to support critical investments in that sector. For three decades, together we have provided those essential services but in order to continue to do so, with several revenue sources declining, with city services and facilities expanding, with pressure on our employees 
and our expenses increasing, we must have additional revenue to continue the excellence that we have achieved and that our residents expect. Hamilton said that Monroe County currently has a low local income tax compared to surrounding counties, and that the proposed 0.855 percentage increase would put Monroe County in the middle with three counties with a higher income tax and three counties with a lower income tax. Councilmember Jim Sims responded to the mayor's proposal, saying he agreed a new revenue source is needed, but also warned that other costs have increased in the community as well. I think it's very, very important. Uh, we talked about priorities. Um, speaking for myself, I think it's pretty clear that we're going to need a new revenue source. I think in our conversations, it's been clear on my part how much <laughs> that we're actually going to need. Uh, we've also talked about the impact on, in particularly those that are the least of us in our community from an income standpoint. Also, I am concerned, well, not so much concerned, but I want to look at the impact. Not only we're talking lit, but every couple of years we're looking at utility rates increase. We're looking at other things. So I'm sure that's part of your thinking as we move forward. During public comment, Peter Dwarfman responded to the mayor's presentation and asked the council to ensure the rate is feasible for all residents. Um, when I saw earlier today the number, the gross figure that uh, the mayor was asking for in the increase, I didn't choke at it. I, I, you know, I didn't find it a nightmarish number, but I can say with, I think, complete confidence that I don't speak for many of my uh, neighbors in the near west side, which, contrary to uh, opinions that are held in some quarters, is not one of the more prosperous neighborhoods in the city. Um, I, I think... Uh, you have your constituent meetings coming up. I hope you will go out of your way to uh, get impressions from a wide variety of, of your constituents about how they feel about the overall number. I also am hoping that uh, we'll see a robust debate on the specific uses of funds uh, that the mayor is proposing. Um, in Appendix B of the proposal that the mayor produced recently about how he would spend this money, um, under the innocent-sounding heading, Equality and Quality of Life for All, I find uh, a vague reference to something that is called, quote, supporting missing housing types. Um, I would like to know precisely what use of funds that phrase represents and have that discussed publicly before uh, the council moves forward with this. Thank you very much. Up next, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. KiteLine airs each Friday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB. The program is available online at wfhb.org or wherever you get your podcasts. New York has the highest number of wrongful convictions in the nation. Currently, the law makes it impossible for innocent people who pleaded guilty and are without the benefit of DNA evidence to challenge their convictions in court. This situation prevents countless people with credible innocence claims from obtaining relief in court. 
In addition, law enforcement is legally allowed to lie in interrogation about the presence of evidence. This enables coerced and false confessions. This practice has devastating consequences, accounting for 43 innocent New Yorkers who have been exonerated after falsely confessing to serious crimes. 80% of those exonerated are people of color. Several new bills would rectify the situation. S324A and A6570 would end the use of deception in interrogations and help prevent wrongful convictions. A98 and S266, the Challenging Wrongful Convictions Act, would repair the law to enable an authentic legal pathway to exoneration. The bill would allow people without the benefit of DNA evidence in their cases to return to court to prove their innocence. It would also provide a right to post-conviction discovery. Further, it would establish a right to counsel for those with wrongful conviction claims. Another bill, the Youth Right to Remain Silent Bill, would require children to be provided with legal counsel before they are permitted to waive their constitutional right to remain silent. By requiring that a youth consult with an attorney before waiving that right, the bill would ensure that all youth, not just those who can afford a private attorney, would have the true benefit of their constitutional right. Inmates at a prison in Acapulco rioted after dozens of prisoners refused to be transferred to a federal jail, and 20 state police officers were injured trying to restore order. The riot occurred just before the start of the Mexico Open Tennis Tournament, which is supposed to be a showcase for the Pacific Coast Resort. Authorities said some of the injured officers suffered broken bones and head wounds. At Louisiana's Angola prison, staffing shortages are forcing guards to transfer over 600 inmates to a facility north of Lake Charles. Jimmy LeBlanc, Secretary for the Department of Public Safety and Corrections, stated, We are transferring 600 offenders out of the penitentiary to Allen Correctional Center, thereby closing part of the West Yard at the main prison that was built in 1950. Senator Camerson Henry explained that low pay, difficult working conditions, and resulting high turnover rates have exacerbated the staffing shortage. With more than 5,000 inmates, Angola has more than 300 guard positions left unoccupied, meaning that officers supervise up to 200 offenders each night. The Louisiana Department of Public Safety and Corrections is seeking $2 million in funds to move some of the prisoners and make structural improvements at Angola. When the legislative session begins on March 14th, Senator Henry says that they should begin to address some of the concerns. The French government has called for calm after fierce clashes left dozens of demonstrators and police injured on the island of Corsica, where anger over the assault of a nationalist prisoner has reached a boiling point. Police reported 67 people were injured in protests on Sunday, including 44 police, following the scenes that onlookers described as akin to guerrilla warfare. Ivan Colonna, who is serving a life sentence for the assassination in 1998 of Claude Erignac, Corsica's top regional official, has been in a coma since he was beaten on March 2nd in jail by a fellow prisoner. The incident has stoked anger on the island, where some see Colonna, who was arrested only in 2003 after a five-year manhunt that eventually found him living as a shepherd in the Corsican mountains, as a hero in the fight for independence. 
Up next, we have Strike Mike, voices from the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition in light of the recent strike at Indiana University over high fees and low wages. Today, for Strike Mike, we spoke with Zara Anwarzai, a graduate worker and organizer with the Indiana Grad Workers Coalition. She summed up the state of the strike so far and talks about IGWC's next steps, given the administration's unwillingness to negotiate. We turn now to that interview. Last week, we started off super strong. It was just really exciting and sort of awe-inspiring to see so many people turn out to the picket lines. We had picket lines all across campus and it was incredible. You know, you would leave one and still be able to hear it in the distance. And the second you stopped hearing that picket, you would start to hear another one. So, um, you know, the the chants were just sort of reverberating around campus and um, it really just felt like we had changed, um, you know, the architecture of campus itself. So there was a huge turnout. There were tons of graduate workers, tons of undergraduate students. They're supporting us, tons of faculty and community members. Um, And it was really um, exciting just to see everyone come together in that way. One of the most exciting sites was definitely the sample gates, just because we had and have been having people as we continue with the pickets, just honking as they go on. And, you know, to have that support from bus drivers, to have that support from community members means a lot and gets everyone really excited and reminds everyone why we are we are fighting this fight and how powerful we really are when we stand together. Today's uh, t- today's picket was especially important. So we actually combined all the pickets into one huge picket at the sample gates. And we heard from three undergraduate speakers during a press conference, as well as graduate workers. And, you know, the undergrad speakers talked about how much it matters to them that the tuition dollars that they're paying, especially as they continue to to go up every single year, are actually making their way into the classroom and funding graduate workers as in their role as instructors is the most straightforward way to get those tuition dollars in there. So it was really, really important for them, you know, to hear them driving home that message that they feel that tuition dollars are not getting to the classroom and IU recognizing a graduate worker union would be a very straightforward way to do that. Moving forward, tomorrow we're going to be having our vote about whether or not to continue the strike for another week. So far, it seems like everyone is really excited and willing to continue the vote for another week. We're all really committed to this fight. And we've seen no sort of movement from the administration to negotiate with us. In fact, what we have seen, um, you know, their introduction of a yet again, another task force, it's sort of indicating that they're they're refusing to meet and they're refusing to rethink the channels of grievance that exist and that we know don't work. So far, there's been no effort on the part of the IU administration to actually negotiate with us. So for that reason, we're really um, expecting that the majority of graduate workers will vote to continue the strike into week two. You know, we're not just out here fighting for no reason. We're fighting for union recognition and we're committed to this fight. Um, So we will keep showing up day after day. We will keep striking day after day until we get that union recognition or at the very least a pathway towards union recognition. But so far, there's been nothing. 
nothing in that area done. What we have had is task force that's been proposed, which is, you know, indicating that the university is refusing to rethink their, their sort of standard channels of grievance. They're just proposing the same structures that continue to not work. You know, we know what the issues are. They know what the issues are. And they know that union recognition is a way forward <laughs> and a solution to those issues. And yet they refuse to actually implement the solution that we want, faculty want, and undergraduates want. It's a solution to not only our working conditions, but also the problem of, again, not getting tuition dollars into the classroom. So there's been, there's been no movement, and we do expect that tomorrow's vote will go through. Our coordinating committee has unanimously authorized a yes vote for the week two strike vote. So we are expecting that to go through. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.